Welcome to the new and improved Stockout. Here with a co-host for the first time, um, Grace Sharkey. Grace, thank you for joining me on the Stockout. Yeah, no, this is this is a lot of fun. I'm excited. It's I was telling people, you know, we do this segment kind of on the radio already, so now we just get to bring it to a, a whole new audience. Yeah, it was one of the first pieces of feedback I got on the Stockout show when I started about two and a half years ago. So you really, you know should get uh, a co-host that would make this much more engaging. And so finally <laughs> we made that happen. So better, better late than never. Um, happy to, to have you uh, on this, on the show. Uh, you're going to bring a lot of uh, insights um, from the retail side, as well as the technology side of things. Um, and with your freight background really should be great to, to compare notes here. So what we're going to do today on the Stockout is the first one as part of the new revamped uh, Stockout. We're going to talk a little bit about how Stockout is changing and talk a little bit about um, the Instacart IPO, which is going to be the topic of the show. And then since Labor Day is a slow day for most people, um, <laughs> off day for most everyone, and I, and I think it's like kind of not a real holiday because people don't do as much traveling as, let's say, Fourth of July, I'm going to give you a reading list from FreightWaves.com. And, and uh, give, give you some uh, <laughs> some of the go outside and, and and read, and then we'll talk about the upcoming guests, which I think we have some good ones for uh, September. Um, but before we do that, <clears throat> if anyone is not already signed up for the Stockout newsletter, you can do that at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the Stockout, and it's going to be the first one there under newsletters. Um, and you can do CPG. Uh, the stock out. I don't know if it matters at this point at retail. I think we've already combined the the lists into one where we have about, uh, let's say, 20,000 something people sign up for, this, for the CPG newsletter. We did have two separate newsletters, one on CPG, one on retail. And, um, you know, remarkably, there wasn't that many overlap with, with people who were signed up for both the CPG and retail newsletters. Um, but, you know, a lot of the part of the reason there's a sort of the, the, the new uh, style with CPG and, and retail uh, in, into one. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about why we're doing this. And it's really because following a CPG industry involves a lot of following the retailers. And, and sort of following any industry, one of the things you're doing is you're looking at those companies, customers, which in this case, CPG companies would be the, the retailers in addition to the and, and consumers, and also their suppliers, sort of think of the Quarters, five forces um, thing. So we were already sort of talking about a lot of the same the same topics, and that's why being on your radio show was some fun. Because, like for instance, the Kroger Albertsons deal, you follow that close. I follow that closely, sort of coming from different perspectives. So those are the type of topics that I'm excited to, to to go through on the show with you. Yeah, you know what's also interesting too is like thinking of Kroger Albertsons in particular. Like you and I are both in different markets and different geographies as well so as you know as purchasers and uh users of applications etc i think it'll uh, be an interesting dynamic to see even how consumers are maybe a tad bit different depending on the region that they're in too so uh yeah i'm excited i think this is gonna be a lot of fun and uh it's interesting you say that about our audiences in the um newsletters not really uh being exactly the same so hopefully both of our audiences will learn something a little bit deeper uh, that we haven't touched on in our individual shows. And uh, yeah, I'm especially excited with your experience in this field. And uh, yeah, my more maybe tech side of this, I think 
discussions could get pretty interesting. So yeah, excited. This is gonna be a lot of fun and uh <laughs> your co-host has arrived, I guess. That's yeah, that's 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 great. <laughs> and so we'll do we'll do this show. We do that every goes live every Monday at two o'clock Eastern time. And then we send out the newsletter. For now it's it's Thursday. Um, you know, I maybe that gets moved. I don't know. I, some, you know, I'm sort of the, of the mind that, you know, when you have a newsletter that's ready to do that, it's done. That's when you should send it out versus others who think, <laughs> well, it should exactly the same time every week. So people mark their calendars, <laughs> which I don't really think people mark their calendars to newsletters and they read them when they can get the route reading them. So different, different perspectives there, but, um, you know, it's going to be a yeah. lot of fun. And I think we can uh, just really sort of compare notes and, and, and learn from each other. Um, so, so with that, uh, I want to get into the topic of the show today, which is Instacart. You know, one week ago, last Friday, filed its IPO. There's been a lot of discussion about Instacart. And uh, do you know much about this company? Have you, have you followed it? You must have followed it some from from you know all the retail uh, coverage. Well, yeah, in particular, uh, especially it was really hot right when the pandemic started. It was a very easy way for uh, consumers to still keep up with the retail shopping without clearly being able to go to stores that uh, Instacart as a whole has over 1400 retailers representing over 80,000 stores. And I think in particular, when you look at companies like ship to really attracting Kroger, even at this point, uh, and a lot of other facilitators in the space, uh, it's, it's an easy way for I think more of the smaller to medium-sized uh, retailers, brick-and-mortar stores in particular, to compete with companies like Walmart and Amazon. I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? You see these these two companies in particular have invested in their own uh, wonderful delivery networks, and this gives those smaller brick-and-mortar stores a, a chance to compete and find some extra revenue at the same time. Yeah, so I guess you have a few things going on with Instacart where... Like I'm not totally don't totally understand the, the business model. I'm still learning it, but I guess you can go to the Instacart app if you're a consumer and buy what you want, and then you have kind of a personal shopper who runs around and takes all these instructions to shop sort of on your behalf. And so that's sort of one way that they generate revenues. They have, a, they have fees on that, and then if you're on the retail side, there's uh, they're basically licensing their technology to be on the Instacart platform so they can benefit from that technology because re, uh, grocery stores really don't invest very much in technology and never have. Um, they make the case yeah. that's like 1% of, of their sales. And it, it, so it's it sort of th that automatically sort of upgrades their capabilities there. So that's sort of the other revenue stream. But then the, the revenue stream that really seems important longer term is the advertising revenue. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, I think what is potentially going to get Wall Street excited. I think if, if this is a successful IPO, that's what they care about. Yeah. And it is interesting, though, because if you look at uh, Amazon, I think does a great job of it. But Walmart in particular has invested a lot into their adverti advertising on their third party uh, uh, selling platforms as well. Uh, it's one of their biggest drivers, too. So it's interesting I kind of wonder if Instacart has, has, has learned that from Walmart, if Walmart's learned that from Instacart. Uh, but it's, it's I think, another way of generating revenue that these platforms have figured out that they can do at the same time. I will give Instacart this over someone maybe like Walmart and Amazon. It depends on 
who you're buying from and what brands. The positive of Instacart is that you could potentially, as a consumer, right, purchase from multiple different brands and they drive around and pick up at all these different stores and locations, uh, which also I think the advertising side helps with more of those type of purchases. Where when you look at someone like Walmart and Amazon, you have to be within their third party selling platform in order to achieve that type of uh, experience. Um, but I also think that with the Instacart model, you also deal with recently they've had a lot of theft and uh, non-delivery issues uh, where Walmart and let's say Kroger have have shipped where they really focus on the same delivery person, almost like an experience of like that mailman that delivers your mail back in the day. It will still, but who says hi to their mailman anymore? Um, but delivering that same experience over and over. So yeah, that again, I look at both in, a, in different forms, but when it comes to the advertising side, that seems like something that all of them have really started to think about and consider and uh, I, I agree with you. I wouldn't be surprised, right, if that's what Wall Street does focus on, uh, that what they're generating on that side um, uh, as it, uh, it makes that IPO. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't know about the, the theft with the, the Instacart. So you're saying the Instacart personal shoppers go into the retailers and just in, in the process of doing that, they, they take and, you know, just people look the other way because they think, oh, he's just doing the personal shopping for, for the other person. Yeah. Or they, they pick up everything and then all of a sudden they're not delivering at your house, right? It's uh, being taken home. So there's been a lot of like pushes on their vetting process and, and how they're doing that. Um, and it's kind of like the Uber experience, right? And we saw a lot of that at the beginning of Uber is like, okay, how are you choosing these drivers? Uh, so I think that's a, a big hurdle that they're going to have to overcome where Walmart, right, can leverage just their own employees that they are paying uh, significantly well and, and offering benefits to. It's a little bit more controllable. Uh, I think where Kroger might not be using Kroger employees, shipped employees are the same way. I use shipped quite often and it'll actually tell me, hey, uh, I think her name is Laura. Like Laura's not available at this time, which she could come in a couple of hours so I can either choose to use like the same person over and over again uh, or risk it you could say with someone else so I, I am uh, interested in how they're going to fix that problem without being like owned by some specific entity in a way yeah that's really that's really interesting um, and it, it does sort of you know get to the fact that you know once you del deliver a relationship with those people that tends to be sticky I mean I was probably you know get to know yeah. Laura a little bit, and you almost feel like she's your your friend at at some point. Um, yeah. So, so it, you know, a couple of things that, that sort of tie in with some of the things that the other big retailers have have said and have done. I mean, some have suggested this Kroger Albertsons deal. The main rationale for doing it is the data that's collected, where all of a sudden they're going to have data on over a hundred million households in the U.S., which is almost everyone who buys from a traditional grocery store. And then you think of, of yeah. Walmart, all the data that they can collect. So their data is going to be very strong too. I think when you think about um, just having a variety of potentially addressing those higher end consumers that, you know, maybe Walmart or Kroger Albertsons could satisfy 80% of what they want, 
but the other 20% is this real sort of specialized product that's some, you know, specialized, you know, new, you know, protein bar, cause they like to go hiking in the mountains or something like that. You know, maybe there's yeah. where Instacart can sort of fill in, you know, sort of fill in the gap. So I, I do see, um, some opportunities there. I guess the the risk would be was was one of the things that they mentioned in the filing is that Whole Foods was a significant retail partner up until 2018 with Instacart, ceased using the platform May 2019, followed the a- acquisition of Amazon. And so it's it's kind of like the the issue with with all of retail. Does everyone compete with Amazon? And are we going to buy everything from Amazon? And <laughs> if you were to you know, talk to a, a stock analyst one time, I said you know the the issue with building a portfolio of uh, retail stocks is who is not going to get killed by Amazon is, is sort of the, the question. Yeah. yeah. A, a thousand percent. And it's, it's talking about who has data on consumers, right? Uh, just you're looking at someone who owns uh, HWS at the same time. We can uh, leverage a lot of, uh, a lot of different data to figure out what consumers want. And, you know, it is interesting because I think uh that's maybe where Instacart could help a lot of brands is like finding this like special niche of, of uh, consumers and pulling that and seeing exactly, you know, maybe what brands they're, they're clicking on hovering over. A lot of that technology has gotten as improved immensely where it's like, they can even tell at some point just where you kind of sit and think about, right? Like you haven't even clicked or, or, um, uh, put maybe that product in your cart and then taking it away. But even just like your, how you're moving around that, the application can provide that data. Uh, so I think that's huge. Sometimes though, I will say in terms of delivery networks, right? Amazon's is, is huge. Walmart's is huge. Uh, Kroger Albertson's will be large as well. Uh, Instacart I've found has been like, if you're in suburban areas or the farther you get out, right? At the same, it's just not, sometimes not even available because if those stores aren't there, right. Then what are you, when are you purchasing? So I guess we also have to consider where, where the consumers are moving to, where they're living. Cause I think long term, uh, if we see more people move into suburban neighborhoods, uh, what does that mean to the life of Instacart as well? Yeah, those are really good points. Um, hadn't thought about that geographic migration. Um, I want to toss up a, a financial chart from the filing. I can sort of walk through, this. I think there's some interesting um, sort of insights to be to be gleaned if we can get that on the screen, the the chart that's in blue and white. So this is uh, just sort of a snippet from the SCC filing uh, that Instacart filed. And so you see on the, this right column here, the, these are numbers in millions. So the number of orders, 130, 32 million um, in the in the first uh, half of this year versus the the first half of last year. So not a lot of growth in terms of total number of orders. So a lot of that growth is, is, is slowing in terms of, of, of customers placing the orders. And then this GTV, that's going to be the value of all of those orders. So that's growing a little bit, a little bit faster. So, you know, roughly 15 billion up from 14.3, you know, billion, still not a tremendous amount of growth for a company that's, that's, that's going public. And then you see this next line, you know, revenue about 1.5 billion up from 1.1 billion. So that's growing faster than what is being placed in the cart. And I interpret that as being more of a shift towards advertising. They do say that the advertising has is about 30% of the revenue. 
And that translates to, you see on that, uh, let's see, fifth line, the gross profit margin going from 68 in the year ago, first half to 75, that advertising revenue is higher margin business. And so that's, you know, contributing to the gross profit, um, you know, margin increasing. And then you go further down and you see that the company has swung from a loss in, in the EBITDA column, sort of a quick and dirty way to look at cash flow from negative 20 million to two, positive 279 million. So they're positive on uh, you know, EBITDA, they're positive on you know, net income. That's true in 2023 and 2022 for the full years, but that was actually, they, they were negative for the first half of, of, of 2022, which implies that they were pretty wildly uh, pop- profitable in the second half of 2022. Um, in addition to remaining positive in the first half of 2023. So if, if I was looking at this and, you know, let's say meeting with the management team, deciding whether to in, invest, putting my investor hat on, I'd want to know why there was such a such a quick swing. Uh, was that sort of, uh, you know, cost cutting or is that really a mixed shift or, or, or those things? But it's kind of interesting. That's it's, 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 it looks like this company, they have been positioning it for this IPO. The investor appetite for companies losing money has declined. They want to see profitability now. Instacart's doing that. They also revamped their management team, um, from what I understand, where they now they have a bunch of executives who have been through this before and taking companies public before. So this seems like it's been in the works for some time, and uh, it looks like you know we're going to see it go go public unless something unusual happens with the market or there's just not the appetite from from, from investors. But we'll see. Yeah, uh, I love the the advertisement point you make too, uh, as well as in the numbers. So I think. You know, right now, and uh, the market is where it's at, or the consumer spending is where it's at. I mean, marketing is the number one thing you can do, right? As a brand, get your name out there, find those consumers that are looking for you. So, hopefully, that continues to stick, and that uh, if the market does turn and there's a, as maybe deep of a need for advertising, people continue to stick with it. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it is interesting that that quick growth and uh, excited to see that they've seen some uh, profit out of uh, if you compare right to something like Uber Eats or a number of uh, different on-demand delivery platforms, right? So uh, give them, I'll give them that a cold star. <laughs> yeah, and then part of the pitch they they make in the in the filing is that companies that advertise on Instacart, whether it's through ads or sort of their own pages, they have a number of ways to do that. They see a, an increase in sales of fifteen percent, and they say in some cases it's th- it's thirty percent. So they make the case that it's a pretty good ROI for uh, CPG companies advertising there. Um, but want to move on? Uh, we'll, we'll continue to follow Instacart um, to the Labor Day reading list. I'll bring up some of these uh, articles. Um, you know, first one to read. This one will take you about um, you know a minute and a half to go through this pretty quickly. He was uh, pretty efficient with his words. It's the six charts reveal freight industry is bouncing back it's written, written by our ceo and founder craig fuller uh you know published an article on wednesday and becoming a little bit more positive on the market um you know after really we've been in kind of the doldrums for um you know almost a year and a half essentially in in, in the in the freight market so he goes through goes through uh, sort of a quick quickly you know six charts of, of why things are turning a little bit more positive you know, our favorite chart here at, at, at Freight Waves. So we could just pick one out of the, you know, how, however many um, thousands are, are in, in Sonar. It's this outbound tender rejection yeah. index. And you do that rise, you know, from 3% to 4.39. 
Now, four point three nine is not a tremendous you know rejection rate, but it's a lot better than two percent or three percent. Still less yeah. than it was a year ago, and and we're probably getting some help from uh, the the hurricane uh, situation. Uh, you know, the reefer is, is is certainly you know bringing that up. Yeah, it's 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 kind of funny to like look back what a couple of years ago when we were seeing this uh, get closer. I mean, oh, let's be honest, the high, the high double digits at least. So to say, oh, here we go. Yeah, four percent. This is a great day. Uh, yeah, I think a little bit of that right has to do with like going into the holiday too. We're at the end of the month into Labor Day weekend. Uh, reefer, in particular, right, is, has been pretty big. Uh, I'd be interested to dive into some of the markets. Something even like, uh, you know, Phoenix. We talked about Gatorade right being huge there with uh, this holiday weekend. I would not surprise that we're probably seeing a bunch of groceries uh, again stocked up out there. You know, they're great barbecue holiday in particular uh so plus you add the hurricane um and i think uh again not too surprised by that i i'm, I'm very interested to come back in the holiday and see if we see as big of a dip as we saw for june and uh, july for memorial day and the fourth of july because we haven't seen really the nti move as uh drastically like we saw with those holidays but uh yeah, it's, uh, hey, any movement for those carriers out there uh, in the rejection index, I think is a positive. Uh, but we have to be honest, the negative is to see pretty much, I think, any movement past uh, at least anything past five. We'll probably have to see a lot more carriers start leaving. Uh, but we've got this wonderful fourth quarter coming up that uh, I think we're all waiting to see what that demand looks like. And uh, I Things I th- I don't think things are pointing to as positive as the situation is, at least the carriers I would probably like. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, um, you know, one thing that really struck um, a chord with me was that, you know, analyst uh, meeting a week or two ago, uh, you know, J.B. Hunt's um, president of Intermodal, um, Darren Field, was there. And, you know, they he's asked, you know, what are you hearing from customers? And he says it's really been mixed. He says there's some customers that say, Sales are holding up. We've gotten our inventories down to where they need to be. We need to yeah. move stuff as a result. Similar to what Walmart has, has been saying at its, its analyst calls. I mean, I may be one of the customers, but you know, here, but he says there's other customers that say sales are still depressed. Their inventories are still way too high. We still have to draw those down. It, it just it just really depends on what people are selling and how much work they've done on their inventories. But but some of the more discretionary items. Those have been weak for some time, and there's still a lot there in inventory. Um, and, and so there's, there's, yeah. I think you'll hear a lot of mixed things from, uh, from, from shippers. There's another good article that I want to highlight here on on grain um, exports. So I mm-hmm. talked about this one yesterday on, um, or I guess last week Thursday on people speaking rail. So this one is written by you know, Joanna Marsh, who uh, interviewed um, Jay O'Neill, who. It's one of the experts in, in in grain transportation, and he calls it a wacky year. And it's question of you know is wacky sort of the the, the new normal. And so essentially, what's wacky about <laughs> it is grain grain volume is really been depressed. So we have a sonar chart yeah. that shows that grain volume have has been absolutely awful on on the railroads. You see, in twenty twenty three, the white line for grain. Well, what happened? People still have to eat, <laughs> right? Well. There's fewer exports is the issue because the growing conditions have improved elsewhere 
including places like Brazil. And there's more you know, d- demand here locally for things like ethanol. So if I'm a CPG company, I'm looking at this, it's, it's kind of, um, you know, I, I would say good news. It's part of the reason why you know, commodity prices have come down because there's not as much demand for exporting. So I'm a CPG company and, and some of this, you know, agricultural products go in and my cost of goods sold. That's a positive thing. And you've also seen commodities come down that um, are grown in places like Brazil. Like there's been a big retreat in, in coffee prices. Now, Brazil is the biggest exporter of coffee. And so those positive growing conditions not only make it so we have to export less grain globally to locations such as um, you know China, Japan, et cetera, but you know it also decreases the the, the input cost. I think over time, CPG companies having a harder time managing um, some of these input costs because the, just the weather patterns have gotten to be so extreme that it makes yeah. growing conditions difficult. Yeah, it's a it's it's an interesting way that uh, Mother Nature kind of enters itself into the supply chain, right? And uh, I think you and I have talked about before, like how are we going to see companies like General Mills, et cetera, bring down their prices? Well, it sounds like this is. Uh, nature's way of, of making that happen. <laughs> yeah, there was a one-liner from um, Mark Smucker uh, earlier this week or last week on uh, on that where analysts asked him, you know, the commodities come down, are you gonna, you know, gonna see, are you seeing prices come down in CPG? And he's like, you know, n- not not really seeing that. I mean, it's, it's sort of, <laughs> elasticities haven't been high enough. They haven't felt enough volume pain in order to do that, the exception might be something like coffee, which is kind of more of a pass-through. It's not really processed all that, all that much, but um, hopefully yeah. consumers get a little bit more um, re- relief. So uh, with that, I'm just going to preview what's coming up on uh, future episodes of The Stockout. I think a couple of these you booked, Flow Space on September 11th, um, GXO on September 18th. Um, so those will be both uh, you know, good. Flow Space does fulfillment management for omnichannel brands. GXO, I think we all know the, the big um, logistics company that came out of uh, XPO. And then Bold Carts on September 25th, which is um, you know a new one for me, but you know, I think it'll be an interesting one. The company manufactures vape cartridges and batteries and other paraphernalia using for, for, for cannabis um, and vaping technology. And we talk about the supply chains of that. They do a lot of B2B, help other customers get their name on products, um, you know, get all that manufactured and in stores. So kind of interesting for, for, for an emerging um, market. There's a lot of uh, startups that are addressing, you know, that market. So those will all be great and um, happy to have you join the show. Really, uh, we'll bring a lot. I'm excited. I'm ha- thank you for letting me on and uh, thank you to the audience. Happy to uh, go on this ride with you. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll um, talk to everyone next Monday. <laughs>